You open your Bible and you look at the truth of God's Word. One of the things that stands out to you is that is it Christianity or God's purposes are not about the power of man. In Sunday school this morning, I thought Jeff did a good job of uh, talking about um, Jacob and how God accomplishes his purposes in the context of human frailty, even human sinfulness. But God is still accomplishing his purposes because it is uh, about the power of God and um, not the power of man. You can give a couple of formulas, I think, um, that are true, but uh, truth plus weakness equals nothing. And truth plus power equals victory. And Christianity is truth religion. Christianity is power religion. And the truth and the power come from God, not man. And when God reveals his truth and power, he does so in the context of our human weakness. God's uh, way is not shared truth, some from God, some from man. It's not shared power, some from God, some from man. Because all the truth is from God, and all the power is from God. And therefore, all the glory is to God alone. And God accomplishes his purposes, not with man's assistance, man's help, with man's power. And he accomplishes his purposes in the fact, in face of man's hatred and opposition and persecution. And God overwhelms the wisdom of man. God overwhelms the power of man. And God really accomplishes his purposes in an impossible world that the sovereignty of God will be displayed and affirmed and glorified. So in one sense, we say, look at the scriptures and say, be encouraged. God will prevail against all odds. His truth will triumph. His power will overwhelm. The victory of God will be accomplished through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. And that victory is sure and certain. And we can talk about God accomplishing his purposes. I think it's wonderful when you see in the prayer how God has given to Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ may give to us. And therefore, when we come to God, we come through Jesus Christ because that is the order that God has established. So we believe in Jesus Christ in order to be saved by God. And we believe by Jesus Christ in order to receive the grace of God. And we come to Christ to receive the truth. And we come to Christ for the power. We come to Jesus Christ because God, he's forever the way to God. And God has established this way. And Jesus Christ is establishing the unity of his people. That's amazing. And uh, when you look at the church of Jesus Christ, we're spread out all over the world, and yet we are a unified group of people. Unified in the body of Christ. Unified in spiritual union in Christ. And God says, I'm going to perfect the body of Christ. Every single part of the body of Christ that one body, and we shall all be standing in the presence of God in righteousness, in holiness, and glory. But it's also uh, interesting to see a glimpse of that unity uh, in action. 
in this life. And that's why I want you to look at this passage in Acts chapter 20. There's a a number of things to see in in this text, and it's not all just about unity. But what you see is is the unity of the Ephesian elders with the Apostle Paul. And he comes to them and he says, uh, this is my departing sermon to you. I'm leaving. And furthermore, I'm going to be persecuted. And I'm going to suffer. And chains await me in Jerusalem. And it doesn't sound good. And the the response is is not from the Ephesian elders as, oh, we could care less. Uh, It is um, great sorrow. Why is that? Well, it's because that the Ephesian elders are bound together with the Apostle Paul, and Apostle Paul is bound together with the Ephesian elders, and so there is this love that they have for one another. And they could just say, well, Paul, that's your ministry. That's what you're doing. You go ahead with your ministry. We'll go ahead with ours. Thanks for your encouragement along the way. Um, but that's not how they viewed uh, the working of uh, of the Lord in the Apostle Paul, and that's not how they viewed this this unity. And it's really wonderful to see the the churches caring about Jerusalem. There's so many in the, so many ways in the Bible uh, to depict unity in action, because it, it it functions because of the power of God. It functions. So the people who are outside of Jerusalem saw the people, the Christians outside of Jerusalem saw the Christians in Jerusalem suffering. And they say, what do we need? We need to provide for them. We need to give to them. That's amazing. And that's the, the power of God and, uh, and the giving of, uh, that God puts in the hearts of his people. But I want us to look at this passage. And in Ephesians 20, we have... Um, the Apostle Paul traveling, and he stops in this area. And uh, it says, from Miletus he, set, uh, he sent to Ephesus and the church for the elders uh, uh, of the church, in verse 17 of this passage. And let, let me read through this passage, and I want to just go back. And, and as I read, you'll see the first part, the Apostle Paul talks about his ministry, and then he cautions and warns them about their ministry. So there's really two parts of of this passage. He talks about his faithful ministry at first in verses 17 all the way down to 27, and then from 27 to the end in verse um, 35 as far as his uh, message is concerned. He, he speaks of his concern for them. He is concerned for them. So look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 17 and following. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to them, he said to them, and here the rest is his message all the way down uh, through uh, verse 35. He said to them, verse 18, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now I go bound in spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things uh, that will happen to me there, except that the Spirit 
the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, here's where he begins to speak to them about their responsibility. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him sorrowing most of all for the words that he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Now, when the Apostle Paul talks about his ministry, he first of all talks about his faithful ministry in verses 18 through 21. And he says, this faithful ministry has been a ministry of serving the Lord. It's not been easy. And uh, there have been uh, plots by the Jews, and there have been uh, trials and tribulations. There, It's been a difficult ministry, but he has been serving the Lord. And he said, not shrinking back, in verse 20, kept nothing back that was helpful, but reclaimed to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. I, I have held none of the truth back from you. And I have solemnly testified of two great truths, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Those uh, are the, uh, describe the essence of, of the gospel message, repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was how he went forth ministering. And uh, whether he went to a Jewish synagogue which he often did, first of all, when he went to a new city, or whether he spoke to the Christians in, in, the, in the church, or whether he spoke to elders that he had gathered together, he reminded them of the truth, repentance toward God, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was his ministry. 
And he said, it's been my purpose to be faithful to that ministry. And that's what I have sought to do. And uh, so he describes this ministry. And I think when he was describing this ministry, the elders were going, yes, that's, that's right. That's exactly right. We, we remember. We remember when you first came. We remember your message of repentance toward God and faith in this Jesus. We'd never heard of Jesus before. And this Jesus Christ who is the Son of God and who is the Savior and that he died upon the cross and he accomplished the greater work of salvation and he is the way to enter into the presence of God and we come through Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. We can't save ourselves. Only he can save. We must repent of our sinfulness. So we look at ourselves, we see sinfulness. We look at Christ, we see our salvation. And so we faith, our faith and trust is in him. We see that. So the Apostle Paul wasn't saying something new to them. He was just reminding them of what they already knew about his ministry. So I can just see them all sitting there going, yes, yes. You know, they're sort of saying, yes, yes, this is true. I wonder why he has called us together for this meeting. But here, yes, that's true. We understand, yes, that's exactly right. We know the emphasis of your ministry. We know how you've taught us. We know that even as you've gone door to door, whether you've gone and spoken with us as a group of, of people, that uh, this is the ministry that you have, have uh, exemplified in our presence. In verses 22, but he says, I'm, I'm now, he says, bound, uh, there's coming affliction for me. In 22 and 23, he says, and uh, see, now I'm bound in the spirit, in the spirit, his spirit, um, to go to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except there's an authoritative witness that I've been given. The Holy Spirit has told me what's going to happen. So I'm, my, my spirit is bound to go to Jerusalem. And that's sort of, he says, I'm inwardly compelled to go. God has compelled me to go to Jerusalem, but the Spirit of God has also told me in every city. And that's sort of interesting to think about. I don't know how the Holy Spirit made this known, impressed this truth upon his heart. He doesn't say. He just says, in every city, the Holy Spirit testifies, saying to me that chains and tribulations await me. So sometimes that's been a very dramatic way of expression. Sometimes he may ministry to his own heart, but he knew where he was supposed to go. The ministry is in God's hands, and he knew that. But you'll notice his hard attitude in verse 24. When I was at uh, Dallas Seminary, we'd have guest speakers who would come. And I don't remember the name of the guest speaker who came, but we had chapel every day. And um, we, uh, the chapel was probably pretty, a little bigger than this chapel and filled with men. And uh, when we would sing, it was sort of an amazing, you never get over that. It, it, I remember the men singing a number of hymns. It's uh, sort of a great, uh, great memory. But I also remember this speaker, and I don't, know, remember, I don't remember his name, but I remember what he said. Because he came to this passage of Scripture, and he said, How many of you have a life verse? And um, some individuals raised their hand because they had a life verse, and some of the men knew what their life verse was, and, and uh, some of us were not inclined to have a life verse. We like all the verses, um, but uh, he just said, I, I'd encourage this to be your life verse. And uh, it says in, in verse 24, none of these things move me. 
nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And I thought, uh, you know, if you have a life verse, that would be a good life verse for a minister of the gospel. And that's what he was saying to this group of, of men as he stood in their presence. He said, this is a great verse for you. Persecution waiting for you in Jerusalem. Is the Apostle Paul worried about that? You don't get any of that. He says, I'm not moved at all by that. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. I may be going there to die. None of these things move me. Well, what does move him? Well, he says in this passage, none of these things are a, a, a problem to me, and it was not a problem for him to stand in front of these Ephesian elders and say, I will see your face no more. I'm pretty sure that's what God has for me. But what moves him is finishing his race with joy. Not, not uh, shunning his responsibility, not uh, ceasing to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, and uh, not shrinking back, but standing forward, that I may finish my race with joy. The ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus, what is that ministry? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's what moved the Apostle Paul in his heart. And if you look at the Apostle Paul's ministry, it is a wonderful ministry. It is a terrible ministry at the same time. I mean, he went with boldness into a new city, and he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, he was always, in almost all of the cities, a recipient of the natural response of the natural man. The natural response of the natural man is to hate God, is to suppress God's truth, and to suppress the evangelist, suppress the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul, when he describes all the things that happened to him, it's just a dreadful list of, of all the things that he received at the hands of sinners because he's proclaiming the gospel of Christ. But none of those things moved him. You know, when the Lord said, I want you to go to a new city, I'd like you to go to Corinth and proclaim the gospel. I, you know, the Apostle Paul didn't say in his heart, oh, no, it's so nice being here in this city that I don't want to go to the next city because I know what I'm going to face there. None of those things moved him. Even going to Jerusalem with the Holy Spirit saying, persecution is, is what is in store for you when you go to Jerusalem. That's why I want you to go there. I want you to go back. Go back to Jerusalem. Go back there to the chains and the imprisonment that awaits you and the suffering. Apostle Paul says, if that's where the Lord wants me to go, that's where I want to go. None of these things move me. I don't count my life dear to myself. Because what, what is joy to me is the, is the finishing of the ministry which God has set before me and the setting forth this ministry to testify the gospel of the grace of God, to testify of the truth. You know, we live in, in America in what I consider to be dark days. Is it the darkest days on planet Earth that's ever been here? I said, no, there's been many dark days before. But we're living in dark days as far as the spiritual truth is concerned. 
And even to open your mouth, it's getting more and more difficult, and persecution may be arising and coming. And what moves us is not the fear of persecution. What moves us is really the opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Christ. That's the challenge. That's, that's the, the ministry that is set before us, to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel that no one wants to hear, but the gospel that everyone needs to hear. And the world always likes to take the gospel and, and crush it out and hopefully put it under a, a, a bushel so that no one will ever see the light that shines. That's, that's the world is always trying to do that. The world has done that throughout all of human history. And the world is doing that now. But our joy is to see the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ go forth. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Even if he walks into persecution, I know that my joy in walking into this persecution is to know that the gospel goes forth. The gospel is a powerful gospel. It is not according to the wisdom of men. It's not according to the power of men. It is according to the wisdom and power of God. And it accomplishes its purposes. So this is a great life verse. It's a great life verse for all of us. You know, to see that the great purpose of life is for the God's truth to go forth and God's truth to triumph, to triumph in our hearts, to triumph in our families, to triumph in every place. May God help us with that purpose. Here, as he finishes up his statement about it, he says in verse 25, but because of this, I know that you will see my face no more. And I think that that's the time in this message when the men stopped going, yes, that's true, yes, that's true, and then they went, oh, no, that's not good. They were probably, they didn't shake their heads, no, they just probably were shocked to hear the Apostle Paul make that statement, you will see my face no more. They were familiar with seeing his face as he traveled around, but not anymore. And he says, I am innocent of the blood of all men. Why would he make that statement? Because he's proclaimed the gospel. And there were more for him to speak to, but he says, and in all that I have encountered, I have been faithful in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd love to be able to make that statement. That's a great statement to make. Uh, to be able to say, I, there's never been an opportunity when I have held back, I've been shrinking back from giving the gospel in all of its purity. It seems to me that there are plenty of opportunities that I've had to give the gospel that there's been a shrinking back. It's very easy to give the gospel here. You want to hear it? I want to speak it. Very easy. It's very difficult one-on-one to give the gospel to someone. But we should not shrink back. The Bible says we should be like the Apostle Paul and be able to say, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. I have, I have proclaimed the gospel. I have endeavored to the greatest of my ability to give the gospel message whenever uh, it is possible, seeking to proclaim Jesus Christ. And he said, I did not shrink from declaring the whole purpose, declaring to you the whole purpose of God. We not only taught the gospel, but the whole purpose of God, and he has taught the truth to them. This is a... This is a, a wonderful ministry that he has engaged in, and they knew it. They knew it. There's no one who stood and raised their hand and objected to anything that the Apostle Paul had to say in this whole, in this whole ministry, the description of his ministry.
But now he looks to them and he says, now you are to step forward. And uh, he says it in a very uh, strong way in verse 28. He says, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. And here is the the message of the, the shepherd and the sheep and the wolves. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, has made you shepherds, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Take heed to yourselves and to the flock. He says, I'm departing. He's not saying I'm the only one who's been doing this and now you're to start doing this, but he's emphasizing their ministry and emphasizing the importance of their ministry. And he said, the first ministry is to your own heart. The first ministry of the shepherd is for him to be strong, that he may be able to minister to others. And to minister the truth to your own heart. So he says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Because you are the shepherds, and the shepherds are to care uh, for the flock that the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. And they are to shepherd the church of God, which God purchased with his own blood. That's a huge responsibility. A huge responsibility is given. To take heed to yourself and to the flock. And the Holy Spirit has put you in this place to oversee the church of God. This church that is purchased with the most uh, precious possession upon earth, the blood of Christ. That is your responsibility. Because savage wolves are coming. Savage wolves have always come. And you'll notice the way that the savage wolves come. For I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. So the savage wolves come in. Sometimes they come in sheep's clothing, but they come in. Not sparing the flock. Also from among themselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. And the savage wolves come in to draw people away. And one of the responsibilities of the shepherd is to, is to teach the sheep so the savage wolves cannot draw them away. And also to be attentive to false doctrine and false, false teaching. And this appears like these, these wolves that are more interested in themselves than anything else, it seems that that's what they're interested in. But they're certainly interested in corrupting the gospel of Christ and corrupting the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so he says that you, you need to be on watch. And his final words to them is, is really a, to be on the alert, to be watching. He says, remember verse 31, that I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. So he says, watch. I commend you to God for this ministry. Because only God can help you to carry out this work and carry out the ministry that he has really set before you. And therefore, you are to to be careful. You are to be bound together 
in, in this ministry, faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing what is to come. And if you note uh, the history of the church, um, the history of the church is, is the story of one false doctrine coming after another. In fact, you can trace the history of the church by talking about the problems the church has faced uh, by false teachers. And there have been some um, false teachers, dramatic false teachers, who challenged the, the nature of Jesus Christ, first saying that he probably was not a man and he probably was not God. And uh, the first charges and false teaching really had to do with the person of Jesus Christ and who he is. And then you continue on and challenge the, you know, the, the depravity of man, that man was basically good. And they challenged the Trinity, the triune God. Almost every area of doctrine has been challenged in all of church history. It's really interesting when you trace the, the whole of that, but it's one false doctrine after another. And in the early church, what the elders of the churches did is they all gathered together. This is the, the beauty of having individual churches all over the place and that they can gather together for a conference. So false teaching is being taught, so all the elders would gather together. And they would meet, and um, they might meet for an extended period of time, maybe several months, and they would open up the scriptures that they had. They usually would make a listing of the scriptures that they used at this conference. They'd say, well, we had a copy of uh, Matthew, we had a copy of Mark, and and we had a copy of John, and we had a so they'd list the, the, the text that they use in evaluating this truth, and then they sat down as, as these elders and teachers of the Word of God, and they studied through, and they said, what do the Scriptures say? And then following that, they would make some kind of a, a statement of, of the conference, and they would either say, this is false doctrine, and, and the early church councils, the statements that are made are really wonderful statements, and they affirm the teaching of Scripture. And it's, it's uh, hard to, I don't believe that they're inspired of God, which some people might believe, but these statements that are made are excellent statements in defending the truth of God's Word. And that's what happened, just exactly what the Apostle Paul was talking about. And probably some of these elders were elders that met in at least the beginning of those uh, conferences. And the truth of God's, uh, God's truth has always been attacked throughout the whole of the history of the church. And therefore, we need to be faithful to our authority, which is Scripture alone. And knowing that, that it is the Word of God on which we depend. And the Word of God which defines what we believe and defines our doctrine, defines our truth. And it is most for, important for us to, to stand firm and to stand firm for that truth. So the, the, the false teachers will come. They've always come. But the truth has always prevailed. That's another thing that's interesting about the history of the church, that God causes his truth to prevail. And even when the church began to be splintered off into different groups, first the Catholic Church split off into uh, the Coptic Church in, in, um, in uh, North Africa and all across North Africa and Egypt um, became a separate Catholic Church. And then uh, later on, the, the Eastern Church and the Western Church split. So you had the Roman Catholic Church, and then you have the Eastern Orthodox Churches. And then there was the split with the Protestant Churches, and you have these, all these different splits that take place. 
makes it more difficult for all the people to gather together, but whether you have and the elders to gather together to deal with false teaching. But in all of the history of the church, whether you have one church with all the elders gathering together or many different churches, God's truth has always prevailed. It's amazing. It's amazing to say that we believe the same things and the same truth that the Apostle Paul believed. That over a 2,000-year period, one of the reasons why God allows there to be such a long period of time, you might think, well, God should just have the church be built up for just a few years and then come and rescue the people of God. But one of the reasons is because God is saving many people, all these people for 2,000 years in terms of from the time of Pentecost to the present when you think of the, of the, the church and the church age. But one of the reasons why there's such a long period of time is because ordinarily over a long period of time, you would never see the same truth here that you see here. And uh, you can, um, even in nations, nations come to a place where they forget their beginnings and they forget what caused them to be great in the beginning and they, and they sort of drift away. And we, you see nations and, and empires, they come and they go. But here you have the, the kingdom of God and the truth that was at the beginning is the truth that is at the ending. And that is a measure of the grace of God. That is the measure of the power of God because he keeps his truth. And the other thing that's amazing is that you have a people of God that are kept and the unity of the people of God. But he speaks of that here in this passage as well when he comes to the end and he says in his, his final words, be on the alert, I commend you to God. And then he says that just this statement, is, it's more blessed to give than to receive. More blessed to give than to receive. And he ends with uh, uh, commending them to God. And then in verse uh, uh, 34, he says, I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. As you yourselves know that these hands have provided uh, for my necessities. And those uh, who are with me, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's interesting, he ends with um, a reminder to them to be, to be giving. More blessed to give than to receive. Not only giving the truth, but giving help and giving assistance and giving aid. But more blessed to give than to receive. And with that, he completes his message. And what's interesting is these, these few verses that, that, that follow, because they have prayer. They come before the Lord and they say, this is of the Lord, this is what the Lord is doing, may the Lord bless, may the Lord provide. I'm sure prayers, uh, um, when he prayed, I'm sure he prayed for them, I'm sure he prayed for his ministry. And prayed that God would sustain him in all the things that he was to face uh, in the coming days. But he joins together with him in prayer. And when this prayer is, comes to a close, it says, they all wept freely. They all wept freely. That, that's, that's a wonderful picture of the, really the expression of the unity that they experienced together. 
the love that they had for one another. It wasn't like, okay, Paul, we thank you for your ministry, goodbye. It was with great sorrow that they said, we will see your face no more. And you're going to Jerusalem, and the Spirit of God is saying that you are going to be suffering, and you are going to be imprisoned, and we will see you no more. And at, at best, they were hoping that he would have a, a, a long the rest of his life in prison, but that he was not going to see them. But, you know, if tradition is correct, and I believe it is, the Apostle Paul uh, was uh, also killed and crucified, and, um, and he suffered at the end. But I can tell you that when he came to the end of his life, he suffered with joy. He suffered with joy because he was fulfilling the ministry that God had called him to. He didn't look back on any of his ministry and say, you know, it's been difficult. The ministry has been difficult in this town and that town. And I went to this town, I got beat up. When I got that town, I got crushed with, with stones. They were stoning me and... and um, he gives him that was left for dead, and uh, God, God gave me life, and God preserved my life, and God, God enabled me to carry out this ministry. I think when he looked back on the ministry, what he saw was the joy of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, you know, that's that's what I've been called to do. So don't. It's as if you were saying, don't weep for me. I, I'm going forth to proclaim the gospel of Christ. But they wept free, freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him and. And sorrowing most of all for the words that he spoke that he said they would see his face no more. And they accompanied, you know, they weren't crying because they were saying, tell us more about the wolves. These wolves don't sound very good. They weren't crying about the wolves. And they weren't crying because he was calling them to be more attentive in the ministry. They weren't crying because, uh, you know... They thought he may have called them there because they were slacking back in their ministry and he was calling them to not slack off in their ministry but to pursue it. It's, it's none of that. It's, it's, it's this unity of fellowship that you see in action here in this passage. You know, Because Paul could say, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to face imprisonment. Should I call the Ephesian brothers? Should I talk to these brothers and talk? Nah, I'm too busy for that. No, I'm not going to do that. I've got to concentrate on what's in front of me. The Spirit of God says, and this, this is by divine inspiration, the Spirit of God says, I'm going to Jerusalem. So I shouldn't really be concerned about them. No, they'll take care of themselves. I need to go and take care of what God has for me. That's not what he says. He calls them together. And he gives them exhortations about what is coming and what they need to be doing. Why? Because of the unity of the body of Christ. He's just as concerned for what's going to happen with them as he is concerned about what's going to happen with him. So you see the unity in the Apostle Paul, and then you see the unity in the brethren when they weep for him and when they accompany him to the ship. This is they they go with him. It's like they they don't want to be parted from him. They're walking with him to the very last part until he stands there and and there he goes on the ship and there he sails out of port and they stand there watching him. It's a wonderful picture of the unity of the people of God. 
I've had a, a few of those departures from with Tim Huggins. It's always kind of sad. I always, it's it's hard to take Tim to the airport because it's it's always, it's all he tries to be tough and I try to be tough and so it's, but it's still tough to go to the airport with with Tim. But um, it's a wonderful thing to have the unity of the people of God, and you can read about uh, that unity in Ephesians. Where it talks about there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We have this, this unity, this outward expression of unity in the truth of God. But there is an inward unity that God gives to his people. Binding them together. So that departure from one another is sorrowful. But we have the hope of, of, of being together. But th- this unity is not just something when you say, you know, we have union in Christ and we have unity with one another. It has a practical application in all of our hearts and lives. And that's also wonderful to see. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. There are a lot of human movements that have tried to unify a people. And most of those human movements to unify a people together fall apart. They can start with great fervor and then there's sort of a filtering away. Not so with the church of Jesus Christ. We are bound together in unity. We are bound together in Christ. We are bound together with one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism. We have one, we have one salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that holds us together to the glory of God. So the church is seen as being glorious here upon the earth and glorious in heaven as well. And we shall be glorious for all eternity. The unity of God's people is seen upon the earth. That's amazing. That's a testimony to the greatness of the grace and the power of God. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that what we see of your church upon the earth is always traceable to your grace and your mercy and your goodness. Always traceable to your power. And when we see the church today continuing, when we see the church today believing the same things that the church long ago believed, when we see the church today continuing to be built and prospered, Lord, we see your hand. And we don't say, well, what a wonderful job that we as Christians have done in upholding the truth of God and standing firm. But we say, what a wonderful God you are in keeping us and sanctifying us and blessing us and binding our hearts together and giving us unity with one another and union in Christ. What a glorious God you are. We see your power in our world today. We see your power coming in the consummation of the ages and all that you intend to do. We see your power in the new heavens and new earth. We see your power everywhere accomplishing your purposes. And we're thankful that everything in this world shall be summed up in Jesus Christ. All things brought to bear upon him. And we're thankful that we come before him not as sinners, but as sinners saved by grace. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your purposes. We thank you for your power. We pray that you will continue to guide and direct and minister.
We pray for the ministry here at Hillcrest Bible Church and pray that that ministry will continue. Pray for Trinity Bible Church. Pray for Grace Bible Chapel in Japan. We pray for the churches that stand for your truth. We pray that you will cause your people, wherever they are found, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. May your blessing be upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.